0: Hi there. Welcome to episode 103. Today, I'm chatting with Melissa Coleman of The Foe Martha. Melissa is a food blogger with a minimalist perspective. In this episode, we're talking all about how to simplify the kitchen and how to minimize the mealtime hustle.
1: You are listening to The Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona.
0: Hi there, thanks so much for tuning in. It's Danae here. Today I am chatting with Melissa Coleman. Melissa is the blogger behind The Faux Martha, and she's the author of the brand new cookbook, The Minimalist Kitchen. I only own two cookbooks, and I will tell you that this is one of them. Before we dive into this episode, I have a quick word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is ButcherBox. If you're anything like me, you might have to shop around to a few different stores to find everything you need when it comes to groceries especially when it comes to finding high-quality meats and proteins. ButcherBox delivers healthy, high-quality meats right to your door. You get to choose the delivery frequency. So if you want it every week, you can have it every week. If you want it once a month, that's fine too. You'll find 100% grass-fed meats, grass-finished beef, and among other things, free-range organic chicken. And I love that you can be sure that you're getting everything antibiotic and hormone-free. So if you're interested in trying it out, go to butcherbox.com forward slash families, and you can use the promo code families to get $20 off your first box and free bacon. Now, bacon isn't something that I normally buy a whole lot of, but I have to say it was delicious and it was sugar-free. And we keep a sugar-free house, so I always watch for products that don't have added sugar. So I was pleasantly surprised to see this sugar-free bacon that actually tasted really delicious. So again, you can get $20 off your first box and a pack of free bacon if you go to butcherbox.com forward slash families and use the promo code FAMILIES. Back to today's episode. In our chat today, Melissa shares how the kitchen really broke for her, as she calls it, and it wasn't a place that she was enjoying being until she went through and simplified. After digging herself out of the kitchen clutter, she made it a place that she really loved to be. And that's made all the difference. Melissa and this book have given me so many wonderful ideas to simplify my own kitchen. And we'll be talking more about this in the focus group this month. The Simplify Food and Family group can be found at www.simplefamilies.com forward April. In that group, my friend Zoe from Raising Simple and I will be giving you tours of our own kitchens and pantries. And we'll also be giving away two copies of The Minimalist Kitchen. So I hope you'll join us at simplefamilies.com forward April. Without further ado, here's my chat with Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Thanks so much for joining today. Hi, Danae. Thanks for having me. Melissa, can you start with telling us a little bit about your family and your background and how you got started with the Martha?
1: Yeah, so I started my blog, let's see, almost 10 years ago. I had just gotten married, moved away from Texas to Chicago with my husband who was starting graduate school at the time. And he was working and studying and we were in a new city, didn't have a ton of friends. So I just cooked. I always loved to eat. And in high school, I baked a lot as well as college. So I started blogging and cooking. And at first, my blog was just like a hi, mom and dad blog. And then maybe two recipes in, two recipes, two posts, and it turned into recipe, recipe, recipe. Um And that's kind of how I started. The blog has been wonderful because it's followed me wherever we've moved. So we've been in Chicago, in New Haven, Connecticut, and now we're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it's just gone with me. It's been this personal project that has stayed with me for 10 years.
0: Great. And so it, I imagine, has changed with you as well over the past 10 years. And you now have a daughter. Um, how old is your daughter?
1: Hallie, my daughter, is four. She's four and a half. Yep. So it has it has it's like been my companion these last 10 years. And it's allowed me to change as, as I've changed it has no say in the matter, but
0: <laughs> one of the things that I love so much about the Fo Martha is that I feel like I really see your personality shine through in your writing, and I think that that's a hard balance to strike in that you write a recipe and people actually want to read what you've written before the recipe <laughs> and I think that and I think I can relate a lot with you and my I also have a four year old and I a lot of the recipes that you do are things that really appeal to me. So I have really enjoyed following you on the phone, Martha, and seeing your adventures. So I'm so excited about this
1: book that you're launching, The Minimalist Kitchen. Thank you. That means a whole lot. It's weird. You know, you, you do the same. You sit behind your computer. You work by yourself. So much of what I do is a project, a personal project for myself. But then when it goes out or gets a little bigger, it's extremely terrifying. So to hear that is, is very encouraging. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. Well, thank you for all that you do as well. And I will tell you that I don't love to cook and I've always sort of, I I do cook a lot. I cook frequently because it's important for me that my kids and my family are eating homemade healthy food, but I haven't always or really ever enjoyed being in the kitchen. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. It's not something that I look forward to at the end of the day. And I know that as I've gotten further and further into motherhood, I felt more and more like this. How do you feel like motherhood has changed the way that you cook and the way that you approach the kitchen?
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I learned to cook with a lot of time on my hands and zero deadlines. Like we ate dinner whenever dinner was ready, if that was nine o'clock, if it was seven o'clock. And then I had my daughter four years ago and I was a working mom. I was actually doing two businesses that I was running um, and the kitchen broke for me. Like I hated, I load the kitchen so badly that I looked at my husband one day and I said, Kev, I'm going to quit this room or I'm going to fix it. And I didn't know it at the time, but the minimalist kitchen was Four years ago, and it's very early stages. Uh, dinner time is just kind of impossible. I've, I've talked with so many people and moms, and maybe you share the same sentiment that 5 30 arrives every day by surprise, as if I didn't know it was coming. And, and I have to cook, like, I have to feed my family. I have an extra mouth to feed. And if I don't feed the mouth, she cries. Not anymore, but she did for a long time. <laughs> So it, dinner time just felt really, really impossible. But after I started working on my book, The Minimalist Kitchen and chipping away at the different ecosystems in the kitchen, because basically my kitchen was entirely inefficient, I got more confidence. I, I knew where the whisk was. I knew how many spices I had. I knew what ingredients I was keeping stocked. I When I set that in place, I knew how to create again. <laughs> In your book,
0: you call the kitchen the largest closet in the house, which I never
1: thought about it that way, but
0: it's absolutely the truth. And I have started after since I read that, I've been thinking. I was like, you know, why is it that I feel the need to put a roasting pan that I use once a year at Thanksgiving in the kitchen with all the things that I use every day. It's sort of, I feel, I, I don't, I don't have any problem storing my winter clothes away in a closet far away, but yet the kitchen stuff, it, it feels like it all needs to be
1: in the kitchen all the time. Do you feel like that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I was. And, and it kind of, you know, when I started working on the book, I kind of landed on this phrase to protect the everyday you know, the everyday is cooking Monday through Friday really quickly, or it's cooking on the weekend, like maybe a little slower, but that is my everyday. And a lot of times the special occasion creeps into the everyday. And that's where all of our, not all of our problems, but it's a huge, huge troublemaker. So I actually store my special stuff separately. Like I have a, a box, like a clear box. I keep everything in clear things container so I can see through them. But I have a uh, Thanksgiving box that has like a, a turkey holder, a baster, things that I only use once a year are in that box. And then I bring it out for Thanksgiving and then put it back away. So where do you keep that box? We have a basement. Um, so we're kind of lucky in that respect. But I, when we were in tiny apartments, like we always haven't been in a house. We've, the, the minimalist kitchen was birthed in very tiny apartments, old apartments that never had enough closet space. And so I would always create an extra space for that stuff. Even if it was in a closet, I had an area for the overflow. Um, and that's what I recommend people in smaller spaces that don't have enough storage area to create those spaces Because when you protect the everyday, then you know how to cook. You have space to cook
0: right and i often talk about it to my audience as you are dividing your spaces into active spaces active spaces and storage spaces so the active spaces are the things you use at least once a week a couple times a week and the storage spaces are the things you rarely use and whether that's your closet or your drop zone empty way where your jackets and your shoes are i think by dividing out those spaces in that way, it makes your house so much more accessible, so much more enjoyable to live in. And I never thought as much to do it in the kitchen. And I don't know why that never occurred to me.
1: Yeah. Honestly, there's not, this book is interesting. There's not a lot of stuff out there. There's not a ton of content out there. So when this book came to me, I I never wanted to write a book, but when it was presented to me, I was like, I have to write that book. And if I don't write it, somebody else needs to write it like tomorrow. Yeah, it's I mean, who has time enough to spend time analyzing the kitchen and the kitchen is so complicated, like it's far more complicated than your closet because things are coming in and out. Things expire. Like imagine your underwear expired every three months. You would have a problem, and that's what the kitchen is
0: absolutely and I, I yeah, I think that that is is helping to shift my vision for the kitchen as well and I noticed I was just looking through my cabinets this morning, and I have certain things that I like we have our wine glasses that came with our wedding china that we never use because we use the $1 Target Stemless glasses every day, the ones that go in the dishwasher. Um, But those kind of things, like I think that I either need to find a way to get rid of those or I need to find a way to store those safely um, so they're available when I need them. Because right now they're taking up valuable space in my kitchen and I'm opening the cupboard every day, looking for things and I'm looking at them and while they're beautiful and they bring me joy, I also could be spreading my other belongings into those, into that cabinet space rather than cramming them all into like cramming all the cans into the, the can drawer (laughs) and making it more visible. And I, I have a quick, not super interesting story, but that I want to share about the pantry. Mm -hmm. So I, once accidentally bought a can of black soybeans and oh. I actually don't. And I meant to buy black beans and yeah. I don't know what black soybeans are. Um, I assume they're probably a lot like black beans. Have you ever used them before?
1: I haven't. I didn't even know there were black soybeans. I know.
0: There. Neither did I. And I accidentally picked up a can and it lived in my pantry for at least two years. Mm-hmm. And. literally probably four or five times a week, I would pick up that can of black soybeans and look at it and be like, oh, black soybeans, not today. (laughs) And I would put it back down until finally I reached this breaking point where I picked up the can of black soybeans. And I was like, I am never going to use you. I need to get rid of you. You are like literally sucking time out of my day by picking, picking the same thing up over and over again, or moving it out of the way to get to what I really need. And that's when I decided to do a pantry overhaul because I'm just like, how many things in here are not being used how many am i say how many of these things am i saving and holding on to for the future so i want to know what do you recommend for a pantry slimming down on a pantry and um, streamlining this so you don't have all these black soybeans that are right taking up your space
1: <laughs> right so i i store all my ingredients in clear permanent containers So that kind of gives me a framework. I know exactly what I'm stocking. I'm making a deliberate decision to stock certain things. Um, I think the grain area is really hard in pantries. I used to have like five variety of rices because different recipes called for a different variety of rice. So I'd buy that. And then I started thinking, why don't I just stock one rice like I stock basically one flour, an all purpose flour? So I started to think about a lot of my ingredients as all-purpose ingredients. Like I've got an all-purpose pasta, all-purpose rice, all-purpose crackers, all-purpose tortilla chips. Like the grain area that's always a problem, I have one of each. And they're the things that we use all the time. Um, so yeah, that means ahead.
0: you don't actually have to have that many glass Mm-mm. or plastic clear containers
1: exactly exactly and you know you can let your space kind of control how much you keep if you have a ton of space that could also create a problem um but I I have kind of looked this is working backwards I think about so much of the kitchen as a math equation and I think about the lesson on working backwards to solve a problem and this is a little bit difficult to do, but think about the recipes that you make week in and week out. They're the ones that always dress your table. Those are the ingredients that I keep stocked. And they have a permanent place in my pantry, and I know exactly where they are. And it also solves the problem of waste, too, because we use what we buy because we're constantly using it rather than that random bag of risotto that. Or the risotto rice that I never that I used one time and it will sit there until next year. Um, I just don't stock those things.
0: So what do you do with that random half used bag of risotto? Do you throw it away?
1: Sometimes I do. Only when I'm doing like a major overhaul, cleaning it out. Um, when and when I set up my pantry, I do regular cleanings. I just pay attention to what we're not using because. You know, life is life. It's it's far more dynamic than a perfect framework. And so sometimes we have things that we buy and don't end up eating all of, um, even though we've created a framework around that. So I will either toss it out or I've gotten better at buying. So if I want to make something for a special occasion and buy some ingredients that I don't keep stocked, then I'll get them from the bulk bin at the grocery store so I can buy just what I need, not, you know, double or triple of what I need.
0: And I think that that's the problem I was running into when I tried to transition to putting all of my dry foods into glass and plastic containers was that mm-hmm. I was trying to keep everything. So that half eaten bag of risotto that yes. I probably wasn't going to use again, I felt like it needed its own jar. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I yeah, and I think that I was ending up with a lot of different things that I only had a small amount of that I was sort of afraid to throw away. Yeah. But at the same time, I wasn't using them, so they really weren't doing us any good either. They were just taking up space.
1: Right. And I always tell people, too, that, you know, you're going to do this for the first time. It's like arranging your kitchen. You do it one time, and then you realize that's not very user-friendly, and so you do it again. And that's kind of how the pantry works. You you set the stage, and then you realize, gosh, we don't actually eat those pistachios that I've been storing stocking. So I'm, but we are buying these cashews more often. So I'm going to swap those two. It's, it's great because you can make amends and changes as you go. I like to give myself rules and parameters. And so we have in one part of our pantry about gosh, 12 wide mouth ball jars. And so I, that's my parameter. Like I can only stock those things in those jars. And if there's something that we're not using, then I can replace it. Um, And that's a loose parameter. But give yourself parameters in your pantry. For example, we have a cereal parameter or rule. Rules sound a little stringent. But a cereal rule where we stock one cereal at a time. And so we've got a container for it. As soon as that box comes home from the store, I fill up the container. And We don't get a new box of cereal until that cereal has been eaten. The jar has been emptied. Um,
0: This kind of reminds me of a closet. Like in my closet, I only have so many hangers. So I know that if I reach into the closet to hang something up and I've run out of hangers, that means I probably have more clothes than I really need since I have figured out generally how many hangers I need to hang up my clothes. So that, I guess that that's, it's sort of coming full circle in my brain and Mm -hmm. it's making more sense to me. So you have a certain number of vessels or devices to hold these things and then you, you make it work from there.
1: Right. Right. And when we first started out, I was hodgepodging together things. So I'd have old metal containers that kind of closed, but didn't really close so well. Um, Or I would just hodgepodge things together because it is an investment. And once I really started to figure out this is exactly what we use all the time, then I bought really good permanent containers that actually kept my food fresh. Because another crazy thing is the food that you buy from the store, you open it one time and it doesn't stay fresh in your pantry. So it's, it's like you're wasting so much when you're storing it in the original container.
0: Yeah, and I never really thought about it like that, but I definitely often just sort of roll down the top on a bag and stick it yes. in the cupboard after I've opened it. So Right,
1: and hope for the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: As if the outcome will be different next time. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, yeah, th- that's so much to marinate on. I, yeah. I'm a person who doesn't really reorganize thing big things in our house very often like I never rearrange Mm -hmm. the furniture and I've never rearranged the way that things are stored in our kitchen and we moved in last July and when we moved in it was like unpacking everywhere so I was sort of cramming things so it wasn't done as intentionally as it could have been done which makes me think that I probably desperately need just a major kitchen reorganization
1: Yeah. It's so hard to undo the work that you've already done. Right. Yeah. But baby steps, right? (laughs) Totally. Totally. This doesn't have to happen overnight. For me, it took four years and I tell people it's still going. Like once you clean out the front of the drawer, you notice the back of the drawer and that's just an ongoing cycle, partly in the kitchen because things are always coming in and going out. So, the nature of the beast is that you have to maintenance it forever kind of but once you get this set in place then you don't have to do much like we i did my last major like the final pantry overhaul probably 2 or 3 years ago and not much has changed besides realizing we don't eat pistachios that much and let us that out.
0: Right. And I think that in general, minimalism and simplifying is a journey. There is no mm-hmm. definitive mm-hmm.
1: endpoint. It is going to grow and change with you and Amen. the way that you're living your life. Amen. Yeah, I think so many people think minimalism, blah, minimalism is stodgy and it's this one-time thing. You just delete everything out of your life and it's, it's far more organic than that. I heard someone say the other day that um, it's funny that we apply minimalism to humans because we are complex human beings, like that's just in our DNA, the complexity, but I also realized that my life is so complex, I need the world around me to be a little less complex, I need it to be lighter and more minimal for lack of a better word.
0: Right. And I think that as the world gets busier and noisier, that the more Mm -hmm. we're going to need to scale back on – on our homes and the places that we spend our time and energy in order to feel that sense of calm. And I think that's very true for our kids too. And I know I think about this when I'm organizing my kids play areas and the place that they spend time is that I really try to be intentional about simplifying things for them too. And Mm -hmm. you, I know that you like to cook with your
1: daughter a lot. How has that process been with you? Yeah. So I cry over spilled milk, and I will do it again and again. And it's, it's, it's not um, Instagram worthy. You know, you see all these pictures of moms and their daughters, or not even daughters, their children cooking, and it looks so happy. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it is not happy. Like sometimes you, she spills everywhere, and I'm a human and I react poorly. So it's a process. And I've noticed with her, with my daughter in particular, she loves – She does, she's pretty picky right now, and I'm looking at it as a stage. But if she helps me chop vegetables, she will eat the vegetables like it's sneaky. She thinks I can't see, so she'll <laughs> just keep eating the vegetables. Um, but when she sits down to the dinner table, she will not eat them cooked. So I just let her sneak, and she's taking – Ownership. One day she will take ownership over the things she's making and she'll be proud. But right now she's sneaking vegetables off the cutting board. <laughs> I love and that. that's okay. <laughs>
0: you know, I think, and I have told my audience this time and time again, cooking with my kids is really important to me and I do it mm-hmm. every day. They're two and four, but it sucks. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. It's just <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie that like it right. is hard and like most days it is like, it, it's it's really hard but there are certain things that I just am really invested in doing and yes. this is one of those things and it's really important to me it is not really important to to everyone and I think if anyone's listening and thinks that this should be something that they need to add to their never-ending to-do list absolutely not it's something that i have sort of brain my brainwashed myself into thinking that my kids needed to be a part of cooking with me and it's a, <laughs> it's a total grind i have to say especially my two-year-old because she has this she still has a the witching hour between yes. 4.30 and 5.30 and she's uh-huh. really fussy and it's really hard to put anything together that takes more than five minutes um, yes. but I'm, I'm keeping after it and I'm continuing to do it my four-year-old actually does really well and he has been he's been doing it I mean we started him he was in the kitchen with me before he could walk. He was standing oh, in a learning wow. tower before he could actually even hold That's himself amazing. upright. And he would just <laughs> stand at the counter with me. Sometimes he would put thing he would put the potatoes into a bowl of water and wash them or just sort of play yeah. around and but just being a part of the process, just seeing it happen, being present and feeling like This is a very big part of our everyday, and that they are invited into it, I think is something that's really important to me.
1: Totally. And when I think about, like, you know, one day my daughter's gonna leave the house, I want her to be able to take care of herself. And for me, taking good care of myself is feeding myself. And it's also gathering around the table. Like there's just something so magic about gathering around the table with people. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's busy and you don't even sometimes want to sit around the table or even want to have a conversation. But sometimes I, I feel like food is yelling at us to just stop and slow down and come and sit and talk to each other and normal and boring and repetition is good it's a very good thing um so I want to I want to model that to her it was modeled to me and I want her to know how to feed herself I just That's like one of my soapbox things. I just really want her to be able to feed herself, nourish her body.
0: Right. And it's not so much a thing that one day when you're 18 years old, you learn how to cook. Right. (laughs) It's a gradual process that happens throughout your whole life as you're exposed to it. And yeah, Yeah. and I'm, I'm totally on board with you and that idea because it's something that we, we loved, okay. I'm not going to say we love to do it in our house because (laughs) we do it in our house and we think that it's super important. And there are some days where it is beautiful and Instagram worthy, but
1: most days it's not. Right. 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 I remember graduating. Well, I guess it was really when I moved away from home and I started going to the farmer's market for the first time and I'd never seen rhubarb before. I didn't really understand the ecosystem of food. Like it just showed up at the grocery store and that's where you got your food. And so I love even breaking that part down for her that food grows in the dirt and you can eat it straight out of the dirt. And that's actually, it tastes better when it's straight out of the dirt. Um, Just basic things that I, it seems so silly. I just didn't have a knowledge of.
0: You're right. And I think there are so many lessons that we don't actually often see within cooking. I mean, there's so Mm -hmm. much math Mm -hmm. in cooking, first of all. But like recently, my son decided that he, because he loves, loves mangoes, he wanted to grow a a mango tree. Um, (laughs) So right now we're sprouting a mango seed and he's going to grow it into a mango tree or so he thinks. Um, But it's just, it's it's led to a lot of conversations about Mm -hmm. geography. Where do mangoes grow? What is the weather like in the place where mangoes grow? What is the weather like where we live? And then the process of... Of you know how do you sprout a seed? How do you plant a seed? And the responsibility of watering the seed and watching. Yes. I, I assume something's going to grow.
1: I highly doubt we're going to get any <laughs> mangoes. Um, oh, I love that you're doing that with him. That's so cool. But and
0: it was totally his idea, and it was yeah. it's just kind of a fun thing. But and I think when I break it down like that, like I just told you all the like the things we were learning it seems like, wow, that you're actually learning so much about cooking Mm -hmm. and food, and there's so much education wrapped into that. But I often think we don't give it enough credit, the cooking process, and to how much there really is for our kids to gain as being a part of it.
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, the math lesson. I think about things that I swore that I'd never need in algebra and geometry and I'm like here I am like thinking about surface area and how to get that french fry crispy to expose more surface area which
0: by Um, the way I listened to your um Facebook live that you did last week on how to get your frozen french fries crispy and it absolutely worked for me and we're never going to eat soggy french fries again
1: (laughs) I know it's it's so easy to do because you're hungry and you just pile it on and put it in the oven and hope for the best.
0: (laughs) Right, absolutely.
1: Again, hope for the best. There's so much in the kitchen that we just hope for the best. When there's usually a simple solution, it's just hard to get to the simple solution. That's kind of what the book is. It's like I've done the hard work making lots of mistakes, going maximalist to get to minimalist.
0: Yes. and. I'll be honest that I actually only have one cookbook. Now I have two because I have The Minimalist Kitchen. Um, But the other cookbook that I have is Martha Stewart's One Pot Meals. And I have become a total convert on One Pot Meals. And I love them because I hate dishes. But at the same time, I find that I'm mostly eating mush all the time. Um so I was curious if you had any input on one pot meals or any favorite one pot meals or any way to sort of jazz them up a little bit without making them a big pot of mush.
1: Yeah, they often turn into a big pot of mush. Um I so this kind of goes back to stocking a certain amount of ingredients and when you stock let's say you're stocking 30 ingredients, that's a low number, but let's say you're stocking 30 ingredients, then you're going to get to know those ingredients really well. I like to think of myself as a manager in the kitchen, and how can I manage that rice really well? I know that it's going to take about 23 minutes, even though the package says 20 minutes, and it's going to need one and a fourth cups of water, even though the package says one cup of water. And so I become a really, really good manager of that ingredient. And a lot of recipes, it's, it's impossible for recipes to take this into account, but a lot of recipes are you know they're writing for generic uh you're going to you know add your rice but your rice is different than my rice um so when you become a really good manager then you can almost override some of those things in the recipe like you know you need to give it a little bit of extra time and you because you're giving it extra time you know you should add the vegetables in at the very last minute or 2 minutes later than the recipe says um and when you have a pared down kitchen then you can you can manage all of those things better because so much of cooking is troubleshooting. That sounds a little scary, but I mean, we've, we lived in five different, let's see, five different apartments in five years, something crazy like that. And I was making my same recipes and they would perform differently in every apartment. And I was like, what is going on? And I try to rewrite the recipe until I acknowledge that every kitchen is different. Like, you know, my, when I'm on an electric stove versus a gas stove and this gas stove runs hot, this one's when it's low. Um, oh, I changed the pasta I'm using. It's cooking faster. There's just so many variables at play. So when you can cut those variables down and then know how those re- ingredients perform, then you can alleviate some of the mush.
0: Okay. That's a good, so there's hope for my mush.
1: <laughs> there's, there's hope. <laughs> There's hope. One pot meals are just tricky. Uh,
0: Yeah, I think I need to think outside the box, which is why I'm really glad that I have your book now, because I do think that I can cook simply without cramming everything into my dutch oven. Like I think there I'm I'm seeing that <laughs> yeah. there are other options and I actually liked you described I'm going to read a paragraph from your book. I really like the way that you described it. And you said, "By the sound of it, you might think that the minimalist kitchen is a book of five ingredient recipes, but even a book like that can make your pantry spill over. The recipes in this book vary from 3 to 20 ingredients and use the same handfuls of tools and ingredients but offer a wide variety of flavors." So they're they're simple in a in a different way, right? Yeah. So not just you're cramming dropping everything into a bowl, um but you're using the same tools and some of the same things within your kitchen consistently.
1: Totally, the same tools, the same ingredients, the same techniques. Like I repeat a bunch of techniques and they're the techniques that I've found to be really efficient and they work almost every time for me. They're pretty foolproof. So those are the ones I used in the book it is a dynamic view of of minimalism i think people are going to expect that this is a cookbook of five ingredients and it's not like those recipes that i the five ingredient recipes i make at the last minute i'm tasting it and i'm adding a little bit of this or a little bit of that for my pantry or my fridge and so i didn't want to give people something where they needed to to think That much on the fly, because as I just mentioned, there's already so many variables in the kitchen. Like if you have, you know, 20 spices, then use them. Or if you have a well stocked fridge or pantry, just use it. Don't be a minimal just for the sake of minimal. So yes,
0: and I completely agree with that. And I one of the surprising things since I've I've cooked a few recipes in this book so far. Um, I really our favorite is definitely the chickpea tikka masala. So far, yes. I love that. Um, but I actually had intended to do the bright potato salad, and last night, and I realized that I didn't have any mayonnaise. So I actually just improvised, and I roasted a bunch of vegetables and put in some chopped up eggs, like you did. Yeah, poured over some dressing that I had and it was delicious so and I so I found that just looking through I'm getting ideas for simple ways to combine things, even if I'm yes. not necessarily going step by step by the directions, or if I don't have all the ingredients, right. I'm feeling a little bit more empowered to mix different things and try different things. And one thing that I'm really loving is that I see that you often recommend that you steam vegetables
1: for a couple of yeah. minutes
0: before you roast them. Yep. And I've never done that before. Why does? That, can you explain why that makes a difference? Yeah.
1: Yeah, first I'm like getting teary over here because that's exactly how I want people to use the book. I tried to give so much background to empower because it's going to look different in your kitchen and to hear that is the best thing in the whole wide world for me. Um, But I often steam, getting back to steaming, heartier vegetables. So things like cauliflower or broccoli or carrots that you've probably had roasted and they almost become jerky like by the end of the roasting process, unless you add a ton of liquid like oils or whatever else, um, to infuse them with moisture. So I will do a quick steam first, like five minutes, no more. It seems, it seems too short, but it's just right to start the cooking process, infuse some moisture into that vegetable so that it doesn't dry out under the hot oven, Um, The great thing about that method too is a lot of the approach I take to the kitchen is I try to think like a restaurant. I've never worked in a restaurant. I need to add that. But they're doing a ton of prep ahead of time to get a meal on the table really fast. So in that case, they're probably steaming that cauliflower or that Those carrots the morning of and then keeping them in their fridge or you know you could do that a couple days before if you're having a dinner party most of the stuff is prepped and then just before people get there or just before they're about to plate the meal they'll roast it off Um, so there's so a lot of the techniques I try to use are efficient techniques more efficient techniques and they allow you to plan ahead so that you don't have this really long prep time got it
0: so by steaming before you roast the vegetables you yes. are putting moisture into it so you don't have to use
1: as much oil exactly that's the very short answer okay. i'll you a 20 minutes yeah. no no that. that
0: no that's really helpful and i'm hoping now that you can explain to my four-year-old who loves to pour the oil all over the vegetables yes. that yes. he doesn't need to pour as much because right. this is an ongoing battle it's like his favorite thing to do is to drizzle the oil all over the vegetables <laughs> and we have a pool <laughs> of oil at the bottom of the pan yes yes <laughs> Great. Well, thank you. Okay. So last question for you, Melissa, what has been the hardest thing for you to minimize in just in general in your house and in your kitchen?
1: Oh, you know, I have, my kitchen made me mad for so long. I will just get rid of anything. Like my family shops, the trash can. I'm embarrassed to say they're (laughs) like, mom, why'd you throw this out or Mel? So I have no problem in the kitchen. I am a Nazi in there, Um, but I have a a sweet spot for vintage items that you can't find anywhere else. I also like to decorate. Um, I'm a designer by trade. I used to paint in high school, and then I did design in college. Uh, So that is a huge influencer of, of me and the way I navigate the world. So I like to go to thrift stores, and when I find a vintage piece that cannot... That I'll never find again it's so hard to pass it up especially if it sparks joy right <laughs> yeah and I just hung up actually I shouldn't tell you this story because then you guys are going to want to save stuff but I found this yellow enamel light um, I don't even know exactly what kind of light it is it's very old and I bought it probably three years ago. And I just hung it up in our guest bedroom and I knew there'd be a place for it. And there was, but it sat in our basement for a little while before I, but I think that's great. You followed your gut
0: and your gut was telling you, let's hang on to this because I really love it and it's going to (laughs) work. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. This has been really fun chatting and I will put the link to the minimalist kitchen in the show notes. And I'm hoping that so many of my audience are going to check this out because I have really been enjoying it.
1: Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you so much for having me today. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have
1: questions and comments,
0: leave those at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 103. I encourage you to check out Melissa's new book, The Minimalist Kitchen, and her blog, The Faux Martha. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And as always, please take a moment to leave a rating or review
1: for this show on iTunes. It's greatly appreciated.